1: My name is Randolph. I've been uh, a part of ACF for uh, three years now. About a year and a half ago, I uh, was in a really weird moment of my life, portion of my life, where um, I was in a really dark, deep place. Um, I was struggling pretty heavily with um, depression and anxiety. um, And my coping for that would be uh, to go out and drink. It tore at me for such a long time. I was constantly fighting this battle of um, doing something that the world tried to say would make me feel good, but obviously wasn't good for me, while also still trying to live a life in the faith. Um, was It was just driving me even deeper. Um, the, it really, it almost felt like being in the church and doing that was was making it feel worse because I was uh, having this false reality that you know what I was doing, what I was committing to outside the church, these things that, that I would um, think to use to, to cope with would, would help and they weren't. I was that guy that would, you know, I'd be downtown in the clubs on Saturday night and then somehow make it to church on Sunday morning to be there <laughs> to, to go on stage and do, you know, emceeing or something like that. About a year and a half ago, um, I uh, sat down with Britt Jacobs, uh, who's the, the youth director, and um, she pulled me into her office and uh, kind of had this come to Jesus moment where she was like, "Hey, like, you know, we've we've been kind of starting to hear about like some of your behavior and, and the way you've been acting and the things that you're doing." And that was really the first time I think that I've ever told anybody how bad it really was. Um, that was the first moment where it, I, I all the cards were on the table. Um, I didn't know really where else to go. I didn't know what the next direction was going to be. Um, but I just I, I almost felt naked uh, and, and had so much shame wrapped up in, in you know, who I thought I was. It was tough it was, it was tough for sure. Um, but the one thing that I noticed right off the bat is that I was met with, um, so much grace, um, uh, from where I was, you know, not, not affirming what I was doing, but saying like, we care for you and we love you. Um, and like I said, I was, I was in a deep, deep, dark place and I didn't feel that love, um, right off the bat. It was, it was hard to comprehend that. I thought that my days of serving were done. I thought, God is done with me. I didn't think that there could have been any redemption. About this same time is when I met Alifa, And it's funny, she actually, she said no to, uh, to dating me twice before she said yes. So uh, um, yeah, she uh, eventually, she said yes and we started, we started dating. Fast forwarding a little bit more into 2021 in uh, in March. On March 20th, uh, Leitha and I got married. It was easily the best day of my life. This was kind of the first time that I was like, oh man, like I'm seeing the fruit of God saying I'm not done with it. Um, from there also, I, I came back into serving with youth culture. See youth Culture impacting Old River. I decided to take a leap of faith. I auditioned for the worship team, uh, which I've always been super self-conscious of my ability to play music and, and sing and such, and audition, and for some reason, Mason decided to let me on the team, so that was cool. I've loved getting to do that from this, this new perspective. If it wasn't for ACF, I wouldn't have gotten to meet my wonderful wife now. Um, if it wasn't for ACF, I wouldn't have walked away from the addictions that you know, once kept me in chains. And I wouldn't get to serve other people in the way that I get to. I'm very thankful for um, what ACF has done um, in my life and how God has used it uh, to literally completely change my life around.
0: Let's give it up for Randolph, can we? That's awesome. Isn't, uh, isn't honesty refreshing? I mean, I just I love I love Randolph's story. Thank you so much for just being real. Uh, one of the values of our ACF community is that we we would be an authentic community. Uh, so I don't know what you walked into church with today, but I hope that you can be fully present and just to kind of be honest about your journey. And what I love about that story is uh, you just see the, the the beautiful blend between grace and truth, right? Uh, in John one, we read that Jesus came to Earth. He literally like moved into the neighborhood. And it says, full of grace and truth. So one thing we know about Jesus is that Jesus never sacrifices grace for truth, but he also never sacrifices truth for grace. So Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. And so we as a community, we seek to be the same, okay? So so I mean, what, what this means is like the posture we have with one another is that we love you too much to judge you for your mistakes and for your sin, but we also love you way too much to leave you there. And to not invite you into something better. And so that's what we do as a community. That's our goal. And so I just love the, the journey of restoration. I love the journey of just seeing God bring the right people at the right time with the right truth so that we can help people to move forward in their faith. And so if you're, if you're new here and you're like, I'm just figuring this out. I'm not sure if I buy the whole Jesus thing. I'm not sure that, that, that I've arrived yet. You are surrounded with people who have not arrived. So you're in the right place today. We're just really glad that you're here uh, today with us. One of the things that we talk a lot about is amplifying the grace of Jesus. And in fact, you might see some t-shirts around that say, Amplify Grace. And uh, if you're new, I hope that you go get one of those t-shirts from the newcomer table before you leave, uh, because that is what we're about. We're a community of grace. And we always believe that grace is full of truth as well. And so we just see that in that story. So so cool. I just know there's a lot of great stuff happening in our community. You have a story. I have a story. Um, God is taking us on a journey as a church family. Uh, the front of our building is almost done. Praise God for that. Uh, we're getting ready for this fall, and uh, we're get kind of wrapping that up outside. I'm just really excited for that space. It's going to be kind of a, a place where we can hang out after service. As you can see here at uh, this gathering, we have the, the back doors open, which means we don't have a lobby. And that works great on beautiful days like this, but it's not so great when it's 20 below. And one of our goals is that you would be fully known and fully loved. That the people would know who you are, and we know that if you're just like jetting out of church here to get back to the car before you get frostbite, um, that's not a great motivator to be known. And so there's going to be some gas fire pits out there. We're going to have some heaters on the building, a big awning out there. And the goal is just to help create space for people to build some relationships, because that's really what we want to do, especially as we come into winter in Alaska. Uh, you, need to, you need to have some people. You need to find your people. Uh, not Not when it's winter, but before it's winter. So that's... That's what we're doing. We are in a series called Master Class, walking through the book of James, and it's been a really challenging journey so far. James is a pastor. He loves people, and one of the things James does is he he tells the truth. We just talked about that the grace is not absent of truth. And so uh, James is full of grace, but he's giving the hard truth to the church in Jerusalem. And his words are really going to, uh, to, to transcend that moment into our moment in history right now. And I really believe these are the words for us here as ACF Church today. So if you'd open your Bible to James chapter 4, uh, we're going to start off in verse 1. We're going to talk about conflict. And I've entitled today's message, A Bear Mauling and a Battle Within. A bear mauling and... A battle within. So, here we go. Let's talk about conflict. What does James have to say? He says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So this is God's word for us here today. I want to ask a a question. Has anybody ever been in a fight-or-flight situation? Where, where, where you just had to react in a moment, and, and however you were going to react, it just sort of happened, right? It just happens. Whatever's inside comes out in a fight-or-flight situation. Now, in the room today are two kinds of people. The first kind of person is a fighter. So who is bold enough to say, I'm a fighter? Fighters in the room? Okay, a few of you in the room. You're like, yep, when it, when it comes down to it, I'm just going to lean in. I'm going to fight it out. Like, it's going to be a battle. Who in the room are the avoiders? Be real about it. Okay, few more avoiders in church today. All right, so a little off-camber, but that's okay. Uh, fighters and avoiders. Some of you, I would say, you have a fight-or-die reflex. I mean, you're going to fight it out. I mean, no matter what it is, maybe it's about the last piece of chicken on the dinner table, or it's about something going on at work or at home, but, like, you're going to fight it out. You just know how to lean in and have a good, strong fight. Some of you like that too much, right? Like, like you love to fight. Others of you have a rather die than fight reflex. You know who you are. You just want to curl up in a ball when there's conflict. You know, like if you walk into a room and two people are having a tense conversation, you just sort of do the like back out of the room thing. You want to disappear, avoid conflict at all costs. So many of you did the Enneagram when that was popular. Uh, We took that as well, Amanda and I. So I'm an Enneagram 6 I'm a loyalist, which means that uh, I have anger and aggression, but it's more passive, and, which is great. That's a great thing. Uh, and then Amanda, she's an eight. Any eights in the room? We got a few of you. Yeah, yeah, we got some eights. Yeah, they're, 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 they know how to fight, right? Eights are challengers. So you put eights and sixes together, you get sparks. And so occasionally we have uh, spirited conversations in the cookhouse. So there's conflict. Everywhere we look, At there's conflict. You have conflict. You have conflict with, uh, you know, that, that parent you haven't called in years, conflict with that sibling that you're just like, I'm not sure what to do with them right now, and so our relationship is broken. You have conflict with somebody in the church, and they've said something or done something, maybe they've lost your respect, and, and maybe maybe that just creates a, a tension in the relationship, and, and you just don't know how to repair it. There is tension, there is conflict, and when there's conflict, when it's a fight-or-flight situation, what's on the inside? It just comes out, Right? So I want to just kind of illustrate this. I want to tell a story. Can I tell a hunting story in church today? Is that okay? Um, only in Alaska. I was talking with a friend of mine. He's like, I could never tell a hunting story in church, but I'm like, I live in Alaska. If you don't, if you don't like hunting, you should not live in Alaska. So that's that's up to you. But so, Pastor Josh and I, we hunt together occasionally. And, and uh, about a month ago, we were out uh, hunting bears together. We were up in a stand, and and it's about nine o'clock at night. We hadn't seen anything, and we're just sitting up there and. All of a sudden, we see some kind of rustling in the, in the bushes in front of us, and out pops the head of this bear. And we're like, okay, this is the moment. Like, like he's gonna, Josh is going to get a shot. So he's got his rifle up. It's going to be a big moment. He's going to take the shot. And, and something happens. The bear senses that we're there, and he takes off. And while he's running, Josh pulls the trigger and shoots, and, and then the bear disappears off into the distance. And so we're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, we're going to get a bear. And Josh is like, I think it was a good shot. I think it was a good shot. So we made the decision to wait a moment, because when you shoot a bear in the woods, you give it a minute. So we said, let's wait an hour, let's wait an hour, let's give it time so we don't end up in a stupid situation. And so we gave it an hour, we waited, it's 10 o'clock at night now, and we get out of our stand, go over to where he pulled the trigger, and there's no sign of anything. We're like, well, that's not good. Uh, and so then we walk over to, to where the noise was, or where it ended, where he ran to, and, and now we've decided, we said, okay, so at this point, either he's, he's dead or he's gone. So let's just be loud in the woods. Say, hey bear, let's make noise. We're not being quiet anymore because, you know, the, the worst thing, the last thing you want is to stumble upon a wounded bear in the woods. So we said, hey bear, just walking through the woods and, 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 and I'm walking over here where the, where the noise was, and I look down, and I see this little piece of grass, and I pick it up, and, and it's got this little bit of blood on it, and I'm like, "Oh, Josh, you hit the bear. You hit it. I said, they don't just bleed. This is, th- this is a bear that's, that's wounded, right? Like, you, you hit it, and so, so maybe it's here somewhere, and so we're thinking, okay, it's any, any minute now. We're just going to stumble upon this bear, and we'll get out of here, and you know, go get some Taco Bell and Wasilla, and we'll be, at, we'll be back home, right? And so so we're walking around, and and we're still making noise, and Josh has got his 10 mil, and he's walking like this, and, and I've got my 30 odd 6 and I'm walking like this, like Elmer Fudd through the woods, you know, and, and we just don't want to walk up on this, on a wounded bear, right? But we're just thinking, he's going to be here at any moment, and, and, and this is really where dumb decisions were made, by the way, for you hunters, if it's, if it's getting dark, it's nighttime, there's a wounded bear in the woods, you go back to the truck and you take a nap. So this is what we learned, um, So moving forward, we're looking around, we're switching places, Josh is behind me, I step onto this log, and I look over here, and then I look over here, and then I look back over here, and there is the bear, 10 yards from me, standing on its hind legs, doing this like circus bear thing, and he is angry, like he is mad, which I would be too, if I just got punched through with a bullet, so he's, he's mad, he's not happy, and in like a split second I said, hey bear, and he comes running right at me, you guys almost lost your pastor, so He's coming at me, and Josh is behind me. He pulls his gun up, and of course, like, you know, it's, it's Josh, me, bear, you know, and I told him, I'm like, this was your chance to take over ACF, bro. You blew it. <laughs> you could have pulled the trigger. <laughs> Stepped into leadership, but he didn't do it. So. so I'm like falling backwards, and this bear is coming at me full speed, like he's going to go out fighting, like some of you do, right? Like he's going to go down fighting, and he's coming at me, and I'm like falling backwards, and I'm, I, I start falling, and Josh puts his hand on my back to stop me from falling down. And, and I aim the rifle at the bear from the hip, pull the trigger, and the thing drops to the ground, and I sit down and hyperventilate <laughs> and I just lost my mind and I, I will tell you some some unsanctified language was used for the next five minutes or so. Uh, you might not have been proud of your pastor for a moment there, but if you were there, you would have done it too i 'm t- telling you it was it was insane and so I, the reason I tell you that story is because it's a it 's a moment where like you know, some of you have thought, well, here's what I would do if I was in that situation. You don't even know. You just don't know till you're in it. And don't you wonder sometimes, like, like what would I do in, in a moment like that? Well, I found out, right? And I found out that, like, I just had a reaction that that saved my life. Ultimately, like, I probably couldn't do that again if you gave me a million bucks. I wouldn't hit the bear. I'd just, like, shoot past it. But just by the grace of God and just by reaction, it worked out. But The reality is like when you're in a fight or flight situation, what's inside comes out. And what I want to say is in our relationships, uh, what's going to be very clear is that when you're in a fight or flight situation, when you're having conflict with another person, whoever sits on the throne of your heart will be obvious. It will be clear. People will be able to tell. And this is what James is dealing with for this church in Jerusalem. There's conflict within the church. If you've ever actually been to the Holy Land, done the tour before, I, I had the privilege of doing that a few years ago, and when you, when you walk into the old city of Jerusalem, what you immediately feel is conflict. I mean, the first time that you hear the Islamic call to prayer echoing over the city of Jerusalem and you're standing over here in, in a Jewish quarter or whatever, and you see the city, how it's split up, you just see there is so much conflict, even to this very day, between people. Lots of conflict. And James, in this moment, as he's getting into chapter 4, is going to give us an understanding of three different wars, three different battles that he identifies within the church. James 4.1 says this. He asks asks sort of a uh, rhetorical question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's like, I don't want you to answer me because I'm going to tell you what it is. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So the first thing is that he's making a point that we wage war with each other. There's a war within the church. There's a war within believers. And I don't know if you know this, but even to this day, Christians don't always get along. Even to this day, there's a lot of different uh, denominations. and, 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 And I don't think actually denominations are all bad. There can be a good thing about denominations. We're part of a denomination. But in the end, they can be divisive, can't they? Like, in the end, the church can be so divided over things that are not central issues. And I have some of the best conversations with people who are just like, everything is a hill to die on. But like I said last week, Jesus didn't even think that. Like, Jesus didn't even think that every hill was a hill to die on. He knew what his mission was, and he knew that he was there to do the will of his Father, and everything came underneath that. And and you just see in Jesus, he was almost unoffendable. Just the little things, he didn't sweat the small stuff. He knew how to overlook things, and man, I got to tell you, this is such a big deal for the church. We have got to learn how to overlook things. We've got to learn how to choose our battles, like what things are most important, because I promise you, there are things that are central to what we believe, central to who we are, and there are things that we're just going to figure out in eternity, that Jesus is going to make clear one day. There is a war within each other, and a lot of it, I honestly think, is that we are emotional creatures, and we don't want to admit it. This is a thing in the church, we don't talk a lot about emotions, but do you know God created you as a very emotional person? And that you have all of these feelings that come up when you have an opinion or you're, you know, you're trying to, to, to have a conversation with somebody. And your emotional health is so essential to the health of the church. In fact, um, Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says this. He says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So let that soak in for a minute. If you're like, I'm not like a self-help guy. I just read the Bible for what it is. It's like, no, there's a lot more of, of, of application and ways to apply this to your emotions that we need other influence and other people to help speak into our lives. And a lot of that has to do with our emotional response to things, that our emotions when left unchecked, will lead to our spiritual immaturity. Do you know anybody that thinks, oh, I'm super spiritually mature, but they are emotionally immature? And it's actually leading them to be spiritually immature as well. And what's ultimately happening that that, that James is speaking to is it's leading to disunity in the church. And this is a massive problem. This is a massive issue in the church. Psalm 133, verse one says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is When brothers dwell in unity. How how beautiful it is when the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, connect together, dwell in unity. As much as, I don't know what your story is, I don't know what you walked into church with here today or what you've been a part of if you're watching online, but if your journey has been, man, churches are so divided. Christians are so divisive. Have you ever seen Christians that are unified? I mean, I see it here all the time. I see many of you working together with one mission, with one purpose, putting your differences aside so that we can go hard after the name of Jesus being made great in our city. Like, I see that all the time, and it is beautiful. So as broken as it is, uh, as the church can be, and as easy as it is for people to throw rocks at the church, which, if you go online right now, you can find a lot of articles about what's so wrong with the American church. And and I get it, I've, I've read many of them. I've written things like that. But at the same time, there is so much beautiful that's happening in the American church. There is a lot of beauty. There's a lot of amazing things happen. And it happens, listen to me, it happens when Christians are unified. It happens when we can connect with one another under the name of Jesus. But historically, this has not been the case. Even biblically, as we read the Bible, we see, okay, there's a lot of disunity in the church. The Corinthian church They were competing with one another in their public meetings. Can you imagine? So I'm talking, and then you're like, oh, here's what I think. And then you're like, well, here's what I think. Then you guys start arguing in church. That wouldn't work so well here. And it it was happening. So Paul speaks to that. We see the Galatian church was described as biting and devouring one another. That's a church you want to be a part of, right? Like, put that on the website. Oh, yeah, we're a church for our city. We bite and devour one another. Come join us on Sunday, 9 and 11. Like, that is not a good advertisement for a church, right? The Ephesian church lacked unity, we read. The church in Philippi was being torn apart by two women who couldn't stop fighting. Just read it. So, and he calls them out by name. Maybe you've been a part of that where it, it, you've been in a church and it's just like there are two people or two groups that can't figure it out and they are just dragging the whole thing down. It's amazing how few people it takes to divide a bunch of people. And Jesus, when he prayed for the church, he could have prayed a thousand different things. But he prayed for one specific thing, John 17, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus says, I want the church to be one the way the, the Trinity is one. I mean, think about that. If you know anything about what we believe, we believe God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfectly one. <clears throat> so we believe that, but then the church itself is so broken. In Jesus' prayer, if he's praying it, it must be possible, by the way. Jesus isn't going to pray something that's impossible. It must be possible that the church could be so unified that we are connected together the same way that God is connected, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can you think of a deeper unity than that? And so this is Jesus' prayer For the church, and he says, The reason I'm praying this, this is so important. The reason I'm praying this is so that the world would know that God sent Jesus, that Jesus is who he said he was. So, what this means is that our impact on the world is directly correlated to our ability to live as one. So, you want to be a part of a church that's divided, what you're going to see is a church that's completely, completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. But when you get to be part of a community that's unified, that's different people. Again, unity is not uniformity, right? I mean, we are different people. If you just took a poll of this church, I love talking to all of you. Like when, when you leave church, I get to meet new people. And, you know, I'm in the lobby. I'll hear people who are like, man, I, I never went to church growing up. I just stopped by today because, you know, a friend of mine told me this was a great place to go to church. I, some of you grew up, you, you've been to church your whole life. Some of you are Catholics, some of you are Baptists, some of you are Lutherans, some of you are Mormons, some of you have different church backgrounds, and yet you come to ACF and you're, you're going, what does it mean to follow Jesus together? How do we center all of what I've been through, and how do I figure out what it means to read the Bible for what it is and follow Christ for who He says He is? And I think it's just, it's extremely beautiful. So that's the first war, is that we have a war within one another. The next thing is we wage war within ourselves. There is a battle for your soul. I hope you've uh, acknowledged that at this point. And one of the the best ways that we can resist the work of God in our hearts is we just simply get angry. We get angry at conviction. Uh, Maybe you walk out of church. People say this all the time, by the way, Brian, I felt like you were talking straight to me. I wasn't. The Spirit might have been, though. And so what's crazy is somebody will walk out of church and go, man, that was so convicting, I loved it. Somebody else might walk out of the same sermon and be like, I'm just angry. I'm mad at you, I'm mad at God, I'm mad at the Bible, I'm just mad at everybody. And anger, can, anger in and of itself isn't necessarily wrong. There is a righteous anger the Bible talks about. But let's be real, I'll be honest, most of my anger is not righteous. And you can tell by the fruit of it. If the fruit of it is restoration and healing, then maybe there's some righteous anger. If the fruit of my anger is shame, broken relationships, uh, you know, conviction that... I mean, if all those things come out of my anger, it's probably unrighteous anger. And what you need to know, if your, like, base emotion is anger, or if people have been telling you lately, you're an angry person. You have a lot of anger in your heart. Anger can be a huge problem. And the Bible does say, like, we want to be slow to anger. Jesus was slow to anger, but when you made him mad, man... He was mad about the right thing. And so we want to be those type of people, but part of that is understanding where does anger come from? Where does this emotion come from? Why does it cause such a war within us? And I think it's because we don't look beneath the surface. In fact, would you put that graphic up behind me? This is a description, I think, of our emotional state for many of us. So above the the surface, the iceberg shows anger, right? People around you are just, they're like, why are you so mad all the time? Why do you just spout off like you do? Why do you just say the things that you say? But beneath the surface are all of these other secondary emotions. So, 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 so uh, it's sadness or it's loneliness or it's the feeling of I'm in pain, I'm insecure, I'm hungry. Like some of you just need a Snickers, right? That's maybe, how many Snickers does it take to heal the church? I don't know. You just pass those out at the door. Just eat a Snickers and you'll feel better about the sermon today. So... You're dealing with grief or stress, or man, anxiety was on the rise this past year. It's been been really difficult for people who have anxiety attacks and struggle with anxiety. Lots of difficult things going on. You're stressed out. You're tired. Man, some of y'all need a nap, right? Like one thing we know about Jesus, he took lots of naps. So be like Jesus, take naps. That's my proposal today. But above the surface, you're just mad, right? You're just angry jealousy, shame. You just feel shame about what you've been through and you don't really know it, but you're just angry about anything that kind of touches on that part of your life. And so I, I hope that you can, you can realize that, that anger is this, kind of, this thing that comes out of these other emotions. And as we become more aware of the battle within ourselves, we'll start to deal with the real problem. Because all of these different things, I want you to know God has something to say about every single one of them. If you're just dealing with the anger, it's going to be really difficult. But if you start dealing with your shame you might become less angry. If you let God speak into your anxiety, you might become less angry. So the journey that we're on is saying, God, would you speak into these deeper things that are going on in our souls? But it starts by becoming aware that they exist. So how do you deal with this frustration that you have with people or this conflict that you have with people? I would say one of the most common ways people avoid conflict is to avoid people. This is a really easy way. If you're just like, man, This place is a mess. I'm just going to avoid people. Or we live in Alaska, which I hear this all the time. People move up to Alaska, and the reason they say they move up to Alaska is because they want to get away from people, right? Like, I came up here just to get away from the people, and I found out Alaska is full of people, right? So we're all, you just can't seem to get away from it. And I was reading uh, this week, there's a book called The Stranger in the Woods. It's been around a long time. And I love the story, because it's about this guy that lives in Maine, and our family Uh, is all from Maine, and at one point back in 1986, this guy named Christopher Knight disappeared into the backwoods of Maine for 27 years and didn't talk to anyone. 27 years. And I was reading this story, and I'm like, sometimes I'm going, that sounds like heaven, right? 27 years in the woods. 27 years just like away from anybody else. Just, just in my own head, getting to think whatever I want to think and working through things. And, and one thing you'll never hear me say is that solitude is bad. Being alone is bad. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to try to take a Sabbath. I need to shut my cell phone off sometimes. That's a good thing. But the reality is it's really difficult to fulfill your call to go and preach the gospel, the Great Commission, when you're alone in the woods for 27 years, Right? It's really difficult to love people the way that Jesus loved people when you're living alone in the woods. And I wonder for you, are you, are, are you dealing with this inner conflict in such a way that you're just like pulling away from people, where you don't build friendships? You don't put yourself out there and build relationships. And the reality is, there's some healing that God wants to do in your heart. In James 4.4, 4, he kind of talks about this healing, and he uses some pretty intense language. He says this, You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So that's pretty harsh, right? You're like, I came to church today to get called an adulterous people. Well, I guess so. I mean, this is what the Bible is speaking to us. It's literally like when we try to be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time, it's like spiritual adultery. And, and, and I think that we don't think of our relationship with God, like, a marriage enough? And that is the most common metaphor the Bible uses for our relationship with God. Like, like, the bride and the bridegroom, that's our relationship with Him. Because if we thought about it like a marriage, it would make a lot more sense. Because I don't know any women in the room that are sort of like, hey, you can be kind of halfway married to me. Like, I'm cool if you're just sort of like halfway committed to the marriage. No, what you would say is, be, you're either married or not, but you're not going to be halfway. I'm not okay with a halfway committed marriage. Like, like we would say a halfway committed marriage is not a marriage at all. And the same is true. That's what James is saying. Like, the reason that there's conflict is because you've got one hand in the world and the other hand holding on to Jesus. And, And the point is you can't have both. You can't have both. Jesus makes it very, very clear. I mean, this is brutal language throughout the whole Old Testament. As God talks about the people of Israel, as they would give themselves up to worship other gods, he would literally speak of them like this, like, like adultery, like they are, they are whoring after other gods. It's the Bible's words, not mine. This is really intense language, and I think it's, it's brutal language that we need to embrace because until we embrace the language, embrace the ugliness of our sin, we won't be able to be healed from it. And so he's like, hey, this is why there's conflict, because you don't really know who you love. You have not yet decided who you love, and so what you have default chosen is the world. You've defaulted to the world. What is friendship with the world? I think it's this. I think friendship with the world is when our words and actions are compatible with a society that doesn't acknowledge God. And I spoke about this a little bit last week. It's when my life makes sense to people who don't know Jesus. When my words and my response to others make sense to people who don't know Jesus. My life is completely compatible with others. That's, that, that's how we know that we are friends with the world. And this is, don't take this out of context, because a lot of people have used this to say, well, then we should all just sort of like hibernate as Christians and isolate. You know, we can build like an ACF compound somewhere in the middle of nowhere and hide from all the broken people in the world, right? Like this is not what he's saying. He's saying you will have relationships, and Jesus certainly had relationships with people of the world, but it's different than this term friendship, is this intimacy, that that like when you look for advice, you go to people that don't believe in Jesus. When you're looking to make decisions about your finances or about your future, you go to people who don't know Jesus. This is what it means to be friends with the world, but uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, let God reprogram your brain. Repent, which is this idea of, of thinking differently about your life and thinking differently about the world. And then he moves on, and he starts talking about how in the world can we actually have godly conflict? How do we move forward in this? And he, and he says in verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So a couple words I want to pull out of this. First, jealousy. Um, the jealousy of God is kind of confusing, right? Uh, because when you think of jealousy, you don't think of a good thing. I don't. I think of like a two-year-old sitting next to another two-year-old, and the one's got the car, and the other's like, give me the car, right? He's like stealing stuff for himself. And, and so when we read that God is a jealous God, it kind of messes us up, Right? I mean, it doesn't make sense that God would be jealous of us, does it? Like like something I have, God wants it, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but you don't have anything that isn't already God's. Everything you have is God's. It's already his. So he doesn't have to be jealous of you. But I think what James is saying is that God is actually jealous for you. So God isn't jealous of you. He doesn't need anything from you, but he is jealous for you the same way. A father would watch a a wayward son waste his life on things that will destroy him. God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I want them to come home. I want them back in my house. I want to have a relationship with them. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. He earns jealously over the, the, the Spirit that he wants to dwell within us. And I honestly believe that you cannot have church unity without the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, I don't know what your church background is, but you get really squirmy when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you know? He, he's, he's as much God as Jesus, but at the same time, we're like a little uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. He's like that second uncle that nobody wants to invite to the dinner table. Like, we, we get really uncomfortable depending on your church background about the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. I'm not going to get into this too much. I believe that we cannot go as a church family to where God is calling us to in the next year or two unless we lean hard into the power of the Spirit. This is really key. Don't miss this. Like like by your own strength or by my own strength or by our own might, our church will not go after what God has for us. We will not see God do the miraculous things that he wants to do. Only by, I believe, the power of the Spirit. I, I believe this with my whole heart. This is why every single week we're praying for people. Have you noticed this? It's just a new rhythm. We're going to identify one person or one family every single week, and we as a church family are going to stand together and pray for that person and ask for the Holy Spirit to do mighty things, miraculous things in their lives, and we're just going to step back and let God do what he does. And I've been so convicted, like, I want to see God do miraculous things, but but the only way to see that is if we want to actually start asking him to do those things. We have to trust that God is still working miracles in our midst. And I, I, I see it every single week. Randolph's life is a miracle. Somebody coming to the point of repentance is a miracle. And we're seeing people get healed. We've got some stories of, of God doing physical healing within the church of ACF. And this is incredible stuff, guys, but we're not going to see it if we don't start asking for it. And so we as a church family, we're not going to assume on God, so this is, that, that's where we won't go. I won't get up here and say, I'm believing God to do something that he hasn't promised he's going to do. But I will get up here and say, God, I plead with you to heal this person. I plead with you to do this thing. in our. I plead with you to bring unity in the life of ACF Church. I will stand up and do that. We will do that together. And we're going to see through the power of the Spirit, I think incredible things happen. Somebody's excited. Amen to that. James 4, 6. He goes on and talks about one of the challenges... In unity, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know at the root of most of your conflict is one thing? Your pride? And I love that James is like, hey, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And the answer we naturally have is they do? (laughs) Yes, God, the the, the quarrel and the fighting is because she's an idiot or he is saying things that he shouldn't say or doing things he shouldn't do. That's what causes quarrels and fights um, among us. And James says, no, it's your pride. You're the problem. I'm the problem. It's the pride that's in your heart. It's literally at the root of the conflict. We think it's about this philosophical issue or this theological issue or about this thing that he said or she said. That's what's causing the conflict. No, James is like, no, no, no. you don't get it. That's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. That's something you need to deal with. But what is causing the war between you and them and not just a healthy conflict, is the pride inside your heart. Have you married people ever been in an argument, and halfway through the argument you forgot what you were arguing about? Or you realize that what we're arguing about isn't the real problem, it's actually this thing that I said two weeks ago, or two years ago? Or you realize that all your arguments, there are about different things, but they all kind of funnel down to one thing that happened 20 years ago? That's what wounds do. And what pride does is it causes us not to fix the wounds. We just keep getting angry and letting it come out however it wants to come out and not dealing with the depths of our hearts, the things that are going on that are wrong. You see, I see two major motivations in every single conflict. The first is winning. And if you don't write anything else down, write this down. When the war is about winning, we invite the opposition of God. If you're like, I got to have the last word, I got to feel like I'm right, I got to feel like I won. It's literally saying, God, would you oppose my life? Which is a really dangerous prayer, right? None of us would intentionally sit down and go, okay, in my prayer time, I'm just going to pray for my kids, pray for work on Monday, and then ask God to oppose my life. None of us would do that. But the way we do conflict is us saying, hey, God, would you oppose my life? Would you come up against me? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if, if, the, if the battle, if the war isn't about worship, the other motivation that I see all the time in a healthy way is not winning, but it's worship. So when the war is about worship, we invite the grace of God. We want the grace of God. The grace of God flowing into our life. We want to get in. If, if grace is a river flowing a certain direction, we want to get in it and float with it, right? So a few weeks ago, my wife and I went out to Halibut Cove um, out of Homer. I don't know if you've ever been there before. But we took a water taxi and brought these two, like, really dinky inflatable kayaks. Uh, they were like bath toys. Um, and then threw them out in the cove. And it's this big body of water that, that shrinks down to, like, a little creek almost. And, and when the current's going out, it turns into a river. So it's all calm and still, but then over there where it goes out into the ocean, it's a, it's a strong river. And so I was watching the tide charts, and we got out there, and you know, I'm lazy, so I'm like, well, let's ride the, the current out to the ocean and paddle around, you know? So that's what we did. We went out there and, and then like I got my times off or something went wrong and, and we ate all our food and I'm, I'm wanting to come back and the current's still flowing hard out into the ocean. I'm like, man, when does the tide turn? And clearly I don't know enough about the ocean to figure this out. So I'm like, babe, let's just go for it. Surely we can paddle up current and get our way into the cove. And so So we're in there trying, right? Like, she's right behind me. I'm paddling full speed. Have you done this before? Like, man, working my butt off. I look over and we're going backwards, right? You feel like you're going 50 miles an hour, but you're just, you're moving. The trees are going that way. I'm like, oh man, this isn't working. Finally, we had to get out and portage them and carried them like a mile to get into the cove. But this was the image that I feel like God put in my mind of somebody who's living in pride, who's doing conflict so that they can win. Is it's like you're paddling upstream, working against the power of God in your life. But when you turn around and you start working with the Spirit, submitting to Him, confessing your pride, being more interested in worship than winning, it's like you're moving in step with the Spirit of God, and that's where breakthrough starts to happen. And that's where healing starts to happen. And that's where restoration starts to happen. So James in verse 7, he kind of tells us, well, where where do we begin? How do we deal with this in our own hearts? He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you see that? So, so it's like this symbiotic relationship, right? If you want to pull away from God, he's like, okay, God, God is going is to allow you to do that. And he may lean in at certain points and give you opportunities for repentance, but he will not force you to come back to him. He is the father in the story of the prodigal son, waiting, yearning, desiring, praying for you to come back home. So if you want to pull away from God, God's like, oh, okay, I'm going to give you your distance. But if you want to draw near to God today, God will draw near to you. Somebody, you need to hear that today. If you're like, I don't even know that I believe God's here but you just would say in your heart, I want to draw near to him, he will draw near to you. At the same time, there is a devil. I don't know if you believe this or not. Some of you are like, man, I'm not into the imps and demons thing. Like, there is a devil. We believe that with our whole heart. And if you don't believe that, have you ever seen somebody lose it when they're angry in a conflict? Like, I know I have where I've like, I've spoken things and said things in a conflict where I'm like, I didn't know that was in me. I was literally used by the devil in that moment to say things that were wounding, and hurtful. So you can draw near to, to the devil as well, and he will draw near to you. So we have a decision to make when it comes to conflicts. The the only way to move forward is to submit ourselves to God. Throw our hands and our feet down before Jesus. Get on our knees and say, God, would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you change the way I think? Ephesians six talks about this battle not being between flesh and blood. It's not, not between us. There is a demonic power that we're fighting against for the unity of the church. So I want to do something a little bit weird here real quick because um, that's kind of fun sometimes. I want you to look at somebody in the row, like turn around if you have to, look them in the eye right now, and I want you to look at them and say this, you are not my enemy. Okay, go ahead. Look at somebody real quick. All right, all right. So, like, well, that was awkward. <laughs> Depending on who you said it to, right? Some of you, one of you couples probably came in here today, and you were just like, you were fighting all the way into church. Now you're smiling in church, and those words came out of your mouth like acid on your tongue. You're like, mm, you're not my enemy, you know? I get it. I get it. Somebody here, you, you said that, but you don't mean it, Right? Like you don't actually feel that reality. But this is the root of what it means to move forward as a church family, is to believe that this person next to you, or this person that's living with you, or this person that you've just been kind of having this sort of, like, th- th- this anger in your mind towards, they are not your enemy. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there is a way to cleanse ourselves, to purify ourselves, and to heal relationships that you thought would never, ever be healed. And ultimately, this all comes from Jesus, who first did this for us. And this is what we see in Ephesians 2. And it's such a beautiful passage. Like, don't miss this. This is beautiful. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. So without Jesus, you were far from God. But by the blood of Christ, you were brought near, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So here's what you need to know, is that if you walked in here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, you are at war with God. You do not stand neutral in the world. You're not better than some, but not as good as others. Now, if you walk in here today not covered by the blood of Christ, not receiving the grace and forgiveness of God and entering into a relationship with Him, you are at war with God, which is a dangerous place to be. So how do we get through that? How do we stop the hostility between God and man? The answer is Jesus. And he's already done the work. He's crucified on a cross. And at that moment, he killed the hostility between man and God for all who would receive it. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I just feel like God's hand is upon me in not a good way. Maybe that's God inviting you into something better. Maybe that's God, by his grace, allowing there to be conflict in your life so that you might get to the end of yourself and realize that you need grace. That You might lay your pride down and say, God, I am blaming everyone else for the conflict in my life, but everywhere I go, there's conflict, so maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the cause. One of the things that we value as a church family is being in relationships. Um, And maybe you're kind of like, you're new and you're not ready for that, but one of the things that we want to do is that We want everybody here to be fully known and fully loved. We really believe that human beings can only win the battle within when they are fully known and fully loved by God and others. There's a turmoil in your soul, which I know there is in mine. I need people around me to encourage me. And so coming into this fall, one of our values is we want everybody in this church family, every single person to be fully known. Even if you're brand new, we want you to find your people coming this fall. And so we're going to be launching a bunch of new ACF groups. Uh, We're launching some new ways for you to serve at ACF. The people that I know that are either serving at ACF or part of a group, almost all of them are growing in their faith. And if you're hearing, you're just like, man, my faith feels like stagnant. It's not growing. Or you feel like, man, I don't have faith at all. It's because probably you need some people around you. And so I want to ask you to do something. We've got this sheet was on your seat. Um, even if you don't fill these out typically, um, we typically do action steps, but today it's a little different. We just could really use your help. Um, so would you grab one of these? It should be somewhere on the row. They're, they're, they're all over the place. So if you, if you need one, in fact, put your hand in the air if you want one, but I'd just love everybody in the room, if you wouldn't mind, to fill this out. And this is just gonna help us understand where people are at in our church. Are you in a group? What are the challenges? What are the things that have been keeping you from stepping into one so that we can design our groups to engage the most people in community here coming into this fall? And so the ushers are actually going to come forward and collect these in just a minute. If you're online, you can scan the QR code and you can get that information as well there and fill that out with us. But if everybody would just grab a pen, fill us out real quick, and then we're going to close in prayer in a moment. So I'll give you just a minute. believe this, as we walk into this next season, that the unity of the church is absolutely paramount. And uh, people will notice if ACF Church is unified, I'm telling you what, it's like nothing anybody sees. Even in fact, the reality of you sitting here today is extremely miraculous. Like, it's, it's a miracle that you're all here. From all different places and all different backgrounds. And so, you just need to know, we need to know together that that the mission that God has for us as a church family really does rest on us being willing to fight the right battles and to lean into healthy conflict and to be unified with one another. So um, as those are getting passed around, would you just stand up? And uh, I'd love to pray for us. If you want, just as we pray, one of the things is like we need to receive forgiveness and, and God's grace on our lives. And so if you just want to open your hands and just receive that from God, let's just posture ourselves to receive From God here today. God, we just, we know we are part of the problem. We confess together, God, that our pride is insidious. God, I confess it's in my heart. And God, there have been moments where I have been used by the enemy to contribute to disunity amongst your people. So, Father, would you forgive me for that? Forgive us for that as a church family. God, we come together asking for your grace on our lives. Father, would you heal relationships we thought you could never heal? Would you dig deep into our souls and heal wounds we thought would never be mended? God, would you come into the church, not just ACF Church, but the church in Eagle River? God, in the, in the state of Alaska? God, we pray for Community Covenant, for Riverside, for Change Point, for the Crossing. God, we pray for Church on the Rock in Wasilla. God, all these church families that are locally, God, we pray that you would bring unity within your body that we would choose the right battles to fight. But more than anything, we would fight for what you prayed for, which was unity in your church. And that as we do that, God, would you show the world that Jesus is real, that he loves them, and he wants a relationship with them. Father, thank you for your grace on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.